Hi, I'm Nana. And I'm Bonquillo, and this is African.American. This is a show where we take a closer look at a subset of the African diaspora, the children of African immigrants growing up in America. We call ourselves African.Americans out of respect for the fact that the hyphen between the two words denotes a particular community, history, and culture. This show is going to take a look at how they overlap, intersect, and at times don't touch at all. So, why the show and why now? This show was born from what's up actually several WhatsApp conversations about our experiences in the United States. Most are aware that conversations about blackness aren't as nuanced as they should or could be. We want to change that a little and create a space where African.Americans can complicate the landscape. We plan to talk about a variety of issues on this podcast, from serious themes to more jovial ones and everything in between. Today's theme is migration of African-Americans to Africa. How timely. So we want to start each show with a segment we are calling Konkonsa, or Gossip. It's where we take something from African or African.American news and discuss it. And today, it's not really news, it's, a, it's, it's actually a bit dated, but we're going to talk about Homegoing by Yagiasi. It's the... Jesse. Huh? Jesse. Oh my God, really? Yes. Jesse? Yes. Okay, well, they call her Gyasi on NPR. So, Lord have mercy. Um, that's where I heard about this book, and that's where I heard it. So it's Ya Jesse. Oh my gosh. We can have a whole section on how to mm-hmm. pronounce this. Ya Jesse. Mm-hmm. So um, it's Homegoing is her debut novel. Uh, and she is an African adult American. Yes, she is. She was born in Ghana, but raised in Alabama and has degrees from Stanford, mm. as well as the Iowa Writers Workshop. Homegoing, it actually came out back in 2016. That's why I said it's not quite news, but um, I loved the book. I read it while on a plane in December 2016, I believe, coming home for the holidays, and I finished it um in one go. Uh, and that's yeah, a big thing likewise. for me because I usually don't, I usually like read a page or two of a book on a plane and then I go to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm going to do all this work. I'm going to do all this. And then I just don't. No, it, it kept you, it definitely is a book that keeps you engaged. So um, let me, so let's, let's give everybody a little bit of a synopsis um, before we begin. Mm-hmm. So the book is set in kind of Ghana. Well, it begins in Ghana, 18th, 18th century Ghana. Basically, two half sisters are born into different villages each unaware of the other. One marries an Englishman and leads a life of comfort in, in basically a palace in Cape Coast, in a Cape Coast castle. The other is captured in a raid on her in her village, imprisoned in the very same castle that the sister lives in, and sold into slavery. Homegoing follows the parallel paths of these sisters and their descendants through eight generations, from the Gold Coast to plantation, the Gold Coast being modern-day Ghana, to plantations of Mississippi. From the American Civil War to Jazz Age Harlem. Yeah, so we're going to try and talk about this book without giving too much away. So let's start with comparisons. <laughs> roots, obviously. Um, Nana, have you Oh, read here we go, Bonquillo. I thought we talked about this a while ago that I, I have not read nor seen too much of the entire Okay, so roots how much movie. of how much of roots have you seen? <laughs> oh, let's say maybe uh, thirty minutes to an hour of <laughs> of the series, of the first episode. <laughs> That's really sad. That's very sad. I know. It was actually 
it was a goal of mine. It was actually a mm-hmm. New Year's resolution of mine last year to, to sit through that you did and that I and, and they were having a some sort of marathon and I, I tried. Okay. But then I don't even know what happened. So I will say, okay, first of all, there's no excuse Thank because you. there's even a newer version of the roots if you don't like the old version. The old version, I get why it I know that I know. That was what I watched. I acknowledge that it's an American classic and I've seen it many, many times because mm-hmm. I also used to catch the marathons on the history channel, but like it's a little weird. Like Kind of weird to me because we're just like seeing all these like famous black people. I was like, did anyone that was black and famous just get up there? Probably. Um, And of course, the representation of Africa was not that great. Um, But the newer version of Roots with Malachi Kirby was very easy on the eye. Actually, all of the people who play Kunta Kinte and his descendants, the main men, they are very Uh easy on the eyes. They look. It was it was lovely to rewatch this series. Um, You're a mess. There's more attention to deep to like. There's more respect for African Mm. culture. There's more like attention to details of things that people actually do from that region and like maybe did from that region in terms of marriage customs and stuff. How was the portrayal in the in the um, old version bad? It's just. I think no, even, I have to see both. Okay, the Africa part. Mm. It's just really stereotypical Africa. Like it just no, and it's weird because the accents aren't right. The skin tones are a little weird. Um, they're just like speaking with like southern accents, but they're supposed to be Africans. It's not very believable. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the magic of the older version is in the subsequent generations, the story that they tell. Mm-hmm. But even so, in the newer version, um, and we're supposed to be about homegoing, not roots, but yeah. in the newer version. But you have to set it up for me a little here. The newer version is just better. It's just newer. It's more updated. It's just like, it's like, you know better, so you do better. You know, the old version was 1970s. That's what we knew. That's what we understood about Africa. Um, the new version, like, we, like, read books about I mean I would say they didn't read books but we just it's just a more authentic representation okay. um, and I think so with that even though you didn't read it you know that Roots is a story about an African American oh, family oh that I right? know yes. it starts with the African Kunta Kinte who was taken and then brought and here in the same way with Homegoing we have yeah. these two sisters yeah. um, I think I would maybe make the parallel between Homegoing and the new Roots mm. it's like the transatlantic slave trade story that we need for this time period mm-hmm. as opposed to the old roots or even the roots of the novel because the roots of the no- i mean i've i've read the book as well. i've read the novel i've read queen which mm-hmm. is the other alex haley book mm-hmm. queen is about the other part of his family um he had a, a, a grandmother i think or a great-grandmother who was half black half white mm-hmm. and so it's her life story how she came into being like what she suffered through um before and after the civil war it's just like really stylized the old roots uh i think I don't want to talk too much about it because you didn't read it. <laughs> you don't know much about it. What I would say, what's nice about Homegoing is that it doesn't try so hard to keep the continuity. Mm-hmm. Um, there is more of an acknowledgement of, I don't say more of an acknowledgement because I think both Roots and Homegoing, like the, the slavery parts are both palpable. Like mm-hmm. I think this happened in some families. I think with Roots, because it's Alex Haley's story and it's supposed to be the oral history that's passed down from generation to generation, mm-hmm. you see the continuity in the family, mm-hmm. but you don't see that in Homegoing. There are pieces where the family history is simply lost yeah. um, to the characters around them. Um, and that is kind of sad. I mean, I think we can talk about one character, H. We'll just mm-hmm. call him that. And it was, I think I really wanted to know more about him. And it was so... It was so hard to like read about him and then his subsequent like 
the subsequent the generations. Led, yeah. yeah, the life they lived in, like, what they didn't know. They just yeah. didn't know, and there was no yeah. way for them to know. Yeah. Um, or even the sister's family, the one that was sold into slavery, um, in terms of her children and what they knew about her mm-hmm. and her customs and things like that. Whereas with Roots, it's like Kunta Quinte, it makes a really big effort to keep up with his practices mm-hmm. and with, like, the names of things. Like, I remember a thing that was said a lot, a lot, and I don't know if that's the correct pronunciation but they were like can be belongo that mean river and that was like something they knew all the way up into the earliest early 1900s that mm-hmm. there was an african and he came and his name was kunta Quinte and like this was the word for river in his language um so there's that so let's talk about we can talk about something else <laughs> <laughs> but there, I, I just wanted to say the one thing i appreciated about home going was that there's a real parallel i could see a parallel between the, the characters and kind of the African-American community here because you, you do lose your, well, a lot of people have lost your, their history or, you know, things, a lot of things didn't carry over. So it's, it's sort of like, you know, where am I from? Where do I come from? Yeah. What is my connection? And what, so that was. What about the Ghanaian piece? Like that was also <laughs> interesting, right? Because what Roots doesn't give you, either the old one or the new one, is like yeah. what's going on in Africa yeah. at the same time yeah. that this, you know, this saga or trauma is going on with this family in yeah. America. Um, I, mean, I mean, it's, and and I can give, I think I, if I give this background, it doesn't give away the story really. Um, but, you know, the, the, the transatlantic um, slave trade actually started with, um, with raids. It really didn't start with kind of folks trading their brothers and sisters or trading other tribesmen. But it, it turned into kind of a, a, a trade for arms. So people would, you know, trade other tribes, other members of tribes um, for arms, for weapons. And so, I mean, homegoing goes a little bit into that and tells you the story, um, the stories behind that. gives you a taste of some of the tribes, um, Mm -hmm. some of the uh, tension between uh, the the Akans, the Shantis, and the Fantis. Yeah, yeah. there we go. Yeah. (laughs) So it gives you a little bit of that. So I I, I quite appreciated that because sometimes, you know, you you hear about the story of um, Yasantwa. I I think they mentioned Yasantwa. She mentions, Yajasi mentions Yasantwa in the um, book a little bit. Um, I don't recall who that is. Yasantwa is the queen mother who who uh, who fights on oh, behalf of the Ashantis. Got you. And wins. And so you hear about that. Of course, I hear about Yasantwa from my parents and all of that. And it was nice kind of reading about it in, in this book. So you, it gives you a taste of kind of the history, some of the history there. Well, I kind of like actually the history beyond the slave trade mm. because so much of Africa and black people is focused on that mm. and it's like we had a long history before mm. and we have a long history yeah. afterwards yeah. um i didn't fully understand all of it because mm. like there are different phases where different people in different generations make these choices and it i, I don't know if it's a lack of continuity also an issue of just lack of continuity in the book mm. but i didn't fully understand like you know why somebody would just like go off and like could you really just go off and do your own thing in like this random village in Ghana and like if you were like okay like the sister who has the half has the the mixed race kid uh, um yeah we're not getting anything I think they say it like one marries they, a, yeah um like just some of the choices that he's able to make and the subsequent generations are able to make it is just not too clear to me like how important was it to have someone to be someone of mixed heritage, of white. In some cases it's clear, <laughs> it, but like yeah. in some cases it's not. I mean, it does, even in modern day Ghana, it's, you know, when you're light-skinned, it's, 
it's viewed as. But that's color. I mean, but that's it's, colorism, it's a color. There's a colorism right? thing there, and I think in a way it played a role in the book, and that's how he was able to kind of get the. Get well, not through. just I don't mean just like that person, but like subsequent generations, uh, like the, the connection there or not. I do have another friend who's also named now. Well, she's just not. There we go. Um, and she had mentioned that her father was, she's also Ghanaian, mm-hmm. was a member of a tribe that mixed a lot with the Portuguese. Mm-hmm. And so they tend to, I mean, I met her father. Like, mm-hmm. they tend to have features that are... Portuguese. I mean, they clearly look black, but, like, they look they look mixed-ish. It's, um, it's similar to the Fantis. So a lot of Fantis have kind of British last names. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, so it was, it just, I don't know, I feel like... I don't know enough about this stuff to like really know, but it was interesting to get a little bit of a taste, but there's still a lot of questions that mm-hmm. were left for me. Mm-hmm. I probably should have educated myself further by getting a book or something like that, but you know, um, <laughs> we, don't, we, we don't always do that, which is the, the most, diligence which is probably the better thing for us to do. Huh. So yeah, but let's switch gears now actually um, and talk and move on to our next section. Um, since we've given everybody a little bit of a taste of like what homegoing is and what it's about, what the most important things were, were to us. Mm-hmm. Um, if you haven't read it, definitely read it. It's not, it's not, um, it's not heavy reading. It's not. It's I mean, not like reading a romance novel. <laughs> and <laughs> like, what is reading a romance novel? Well, I mean, there's some, there's some elements and there's love. There's a lot of love there in is, there. There's there love. Is. There is. Um, there's love. There's history. There's, you know, there's symbols and all, all this other stuff. But, yeah. um, it's not. It's not like reading a Toni Morrison novel. Yeah, it's yeah. it is it is heavy. It's, it's parts of it is no. Nah, I wouldn't I wouldn't call it way too 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 heavy. Parts of it is. Okay, I'm trying to think about the best way to think about it. I think of it as like not one novel, but a bunch of short stories together. Which it is, and yeah. again because of the lack of continuity, sometimes in terms of like what you know, what each character knows or doesn't know about who came before or after them, it really is possible to just feel like with each chapter, you're going into like someone else's life and you're like, oh. Um, I think that's one thing I do like. And that's why yeah. I, I, I tend to like short stories in general because they leave you wanting more. You can mm-hmm. kind of, you have to fill in the gaps with what you know. Well, I wanted to ask, what do you think about the end of the book? Um, it was okay. I mean... She it was to, kind of a rebirth. I saw it sort of like a rebirth of some sort. I mean, I don't know. I just felt like it had to end some way, so it might as well end it like that. <laughs> I mean, you could have done a whole lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the way I felt about the end of the book was how I felt about the lives of the two sisters. Mm-hmm. And I get it, like, again, because for me, again, continuity. Mm-hmm. And what's so good about it is that you can fill in the blanks how you want. But what sucks about it is that you have to have fill to in fill these blanks because out. I don't have enough information about any person in either of these two lineages, but like what they thought, how they felt, how they lived their lives. We're just kind of like catching vignettes and we're getting a little bit about like what they knew before them and what they knew after them. Um, And that's what's, it's kind of bittersweet. I guess the ending of the book is bittersweet and I guess it's supposed to be like that, but Mm -hmm. that's the reality of the slave trade as well, right? Like it's not, it wasn't a party. Yeah. All right. So now we're going to switch gears um, and go on to our next segment called The Chat. This is where we delve in a little more and we're a little more real. 
Today's topic is slavery, privilege, shame, and blame. So we've touched on this in homegoing, but it's something like the elephant in the room when we talk about African Americans and African relations. Do Africans bear some blame or owe anyone an apology for the Atlantic slave trade? Were you this almost heavy... chuckling? <laughs> <laughs> I know what your answer I was, is. I, Hell I, I, no. Ah, <laughs> uh, no. For us all to come together, we need to take some, we need to be accountable for the role. <clears throat> Bonky. <laughs> okay, go ahead. We need to be somewhat accountable for the role we played. We do need to apologize um, for what happened. Bunkio is looking at me like yeah. With all due respect to you, I think I think it is hard. I'm trying to think it through, and also, of course, as we thought about this episode and what it is that we could or couldn't say. I don't want to be like how some people, some white people are when people criticize them, right? And say it happened a long time and ago. Feel, yeah. It's not a question if it happened a long time ago. Get over it. Like I would never say that because mm. we're all. I think we're still living the. We're all still living the legacy. We're yeah. still dealing with the legacy of it. Um, Africa and the rest of the world still had to deal with colonial legacy, yeah. which started. I mean, like in terms of Africa, the slave trade was a big piece yeah. of that, and it's not the same dynamic as like white people in America versus yeah. black, black folks, right? Like. That's true. I mean, I, I, didn't, I didn't say... We didn't reap the benefits of the brain drain. I think there's that. that's one. I think the other thing that complicates it is that, just like you allude, just like homegoing alludes to, and like you said um, earlier, you have warring tribes, mm-hmm. which is... I think a lot of times when we think about Africa, we talk about it as if we're all one people. And of course, now that we're pan-black, you know, the diaspora, we, we want to do like pan-black things and we... We think of black people as the same, mm, mm. but to be real, mm. and even in present day, mm. you are one tribe and that person's another tribe. You don't necessarily think of yourselves as the same. There is a distinction. Oh, and, and we, there's still the distinction. Yes, to, to the there point is. Where they're same there different is. nations. Yeah. And to the point where even if you're yeah. your same national identity, like your passports are the same, yeah. but you don't intermarry because my tribe doesn't. F with your a, a little like bit that, of that still right? exists, yes. Like, in Sierra Leone, it's not so much because, you know, we're cool, calm, and yeah, yeah. But I do know that in a lot of African countries, that's it exa- I mean, I'll admit to it. Tribe, there there are some folks who still adhere to that. Whatever. Yeah. So when we talk about people selling people, mm. they weren't thinking about it in terms of selling their own. So yeah. then that's the other piece. And the other, the final piece to it is that colonialism is the, sh- the shroud that hangs over all of this. Mm. Who instigated it? Right. I think it's like should should Native American tribes apologize to each other for allowing European settlers to instigate wars between them? Because the same thing happened there. The same thing happened there. Right. But I'm I'm not saying that we I'm not saying that Africans bear more of a, of a burden here than than white folks. I don't think. But see, I'm saying the burden. <laughs> see, <clears throat> I'm saying that the nine. I'm saying all that of I, it is on. I think it's on on Europeans. I don't think hmm. it's on Africans per se. I think what's hard is that this is hard. Mm. I don't know about. I mean, like, who would apologize and where would they apologize? Who would they apologize? I think it's 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 the step of kind of what Ghana is doing now. Um, trying to build kind of their vicious. economy. By <laughs> well, you don't know what your goal is, Bonkio. I don't know. In all honesty, we don't know what the goal is, so we don't even know if it's an economic, economically. It's you know, as clear as the eye can see. It's the year return. <laughs> all of y'all return to Ghana, even if you're not. No, but it's also it's it's also a way for folks to folks in the diaspora, other Africans in the diaspora, to come back and connect with your roots and learn more about the, By the culture, the different on the cultures. Ghanaian economy, using the, uh, not necessarily money, true. the city. Yeah. <laughs> 
using lots that's, of seeds. That's, that's not necessarily true. You also get to kind of, you know, I mean, perfect example is a group of African celebrities, um, an executive. African American celebrities. Mm, African and African American celebrities okay. um, got together and went to Ghana this this um, Christmas. Boris Cujo. Boris Cujo, Bozoma, um, St. John, and Idris Elba. Idris Elba, yeah, um, Lavia Jai. Um, they all got together and went to Ghana and kind of toured toured parts of Ghana and went to the uh, the castle in Cape Coast and uh, you know kind of connected. Was in home yeah, going, the, yeah, the one that was in the home going and I think. Uh, for a lot of folks, it was, it was kind of learning learning some of the history behind uh, the transatlantic um, slave trade. But they didn't apologize for it. But this is a way. This is a step to kind of invite our brothers and sisters to come, and come and experience the culture. I think that it's that's not some... necessarily saying I apologize, but it's a way of opening ourselves, opening our culture. But I just think that folks. those are two different things. They have nothing to do with each other. I don't think that like Ghana is saying, I think what Ghana is saying is we would like to pump some money into our economy. No shit. You're being too cynical. <laughs> Why does Senegal have Gore Island? Like, like <laughs> I mean, like, let's, let's be real here. I think that that's, but in a way it's very cathartic to those who participate. It is cathartic, but I don't think that they're doing it out of a sense of guilt. I think the but question, that is, I mean, but the question at hand in our discussion, regardless is, of how, what Ghana is doing it for, the reason behind it all, I think these are the sorts of things we should be doing, encouraging, our, encouraging folks to you know come back, connect with your roots, learn more about their roots. And I think that that's fair. But the question at hand for us: Do Africans bear some blame, or owe anyone an apology for the Atlantic slave trade? And I think that <laughs> your answer is not an answer, right? I think I'm I, what I'm wrestling with is like, yes, these people were. I think for for us to move on, we need to, we need to bear, Africans need to bear a little bit of the blame. And even if the apology has to come from African chiefs of some of these tribes, you know, that may, but even with that, like you have, I was reading and I I should have, I I was thinking about it for this episode, but didn't, and I saved it somewhere. It might be Mm. saved in my phone, but there was a African chief who was captured into slavery and led one of the biggest slave revolts in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. And when I was reading about him, what was interesting is that his tribe was doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. They j- no, his tribe. He had formerly been the person whose tribe had sent people to these places, and then his tribe lost in a war. He got was this out. the New York Times um, Nigerian girl? I wish it was New York Times. It wasn't. It was some other like um, uh, I don't have it, but. Oh, Ghana Web. Here we go. The story of a Ghanaian king who led a slave rebellion in Jamaica in 1760. He was a fancy king from the Gold Coast. I don't know how to say the name because I know I'm going to say it wrong. Taki? Taki? Tachi. Look, see, I can't. So, Tachi. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. When I read things like that, it's fraught, right? For me, because I'm like, well, that was how the game was played. And he lost. Mm-hmm. He lost. And I don't think that Africans who were sending people into slavery really understood the. I don't think they. I don't of think course. that they understood the impact. I think that like. I think it was beforehand slavery no, I think was you're a right. very different concept yeah. from what yeah. we saw in the Atlantic slave trade. Yeah. And so, it was too little, too late mm-hmm. to be like, oh, this is some really messed mm-hmm. up stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, not to absolve Africans of it. I mean, I, think I mean, that- we, we, our countries, even if, if it comes from the chiefs, if, if it comes from the country, we have to publicly acknowledge for us to move on. We have to publicly I think acknowledge. I publicly acknowledging is different from apologizing. And again, I our mean, question and, and- here is, 
should we apologize? Who is to blame and who is to apologize? Because this does come up. It comes up in other yeah, novels, it does. right? It does. And people do say it things does. like, y'all forgot about us, y'all left us. and We need to acknowledge it and apologize. I really think for us all, to, for everybody to move on and to, to try to, you know, come together we need there needs to be some sort of and you know this this may be a better question for an african-american like would it help to to hear an african chief to hear an african country an african nation apologize for its role but see even when you say african country and african nation these nations are built with borders that people didn't make yeah (laughs) right so these these borders now exist these borders now exist and guess who made them so again my thing is do I care more about the apology from the European countries who created and kept pushing the slave trade, mm-hmm. who even after the slave trade was formally ended, mm-hmm. was still stealing people mm-hmm. and bringing them to be slaves, yeah. and who even after they formally ended that, still enslaved the peoples of Africa through colonialism, made fake borders that we're still suffering the ramifications from mm-hmm, till to, to mm-hmm. this very day. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just, I, I, I think it's hard and I think it's complicated. It's just not this, it's, I, it's I, not. In acknowledging and apologizing for it too, it allows us to, it allows the country itself and its people to also learn more about their role. That's <laughs> and, true. And, and what happened. And it's all of this. But I mean, you can. If you go to Ghana Coast, can't you go to El Ma- the uh, Elmina Castle? Yeah, Elmina Castle. You, I mean, you can. Can't but you I mean, I lived Island in Ghana for how many how many years, and I never went to Elmina because it wasn't something. It's something that tourists come and go and do. But did you read? Didn't you read about slavery? Of course, I knew books? about. I knew about it, but not from the history books. I I knew about it from kind of family conversations and stuff like that. I don't know how a public apology is going to fix that. I think I mean it's it, more... an acknowledgement and an apology. I think well, and an acknowledging that the country you know takes takes I think some sort of onus for for whatever for, for what happened, and also you know talks more about it in this national discourse. I think talking about it is fine. I mm-hmm. think that encouraging people or providing resources so people can make it like maybe not everybody can go to Elmina Castle oh of course of, of course, like rich, of course right? yeah um and even for those who are rich it's just not maybe it's not a priority but like making sure that the resources are there for people so that like every child for instance has mm-hmm. to make a trip mm-hmm. there or what have you but I think that like when for me mm-hmm. when I look at the situation I say mm-hmm. who bears the lion's share of responsibility and the person who bears the lion's share of course is not opening I their agree. mouth to say I'm sorry <laughs> I agree. I reparations. It's not opening, stretching out their hand to give back the money. That but just because they're not pay. doesn't mean that we should all also. Sit no, there but what I'm saying is that when the person who has the lion's share of responsibility does not open their mouth to say sorry, and the lesser person has to do it, you do run the risk of the focus saying being that back. we're yeah. right. I mean, they're, they're not. Regardless of, I, I think that regardless of the. However complicit individual African chieftaincies and kingdoms were mm. in this trade, mm. we all know who got the ball rolling. Mm. So I would prefer to point the finger at who got the ball rolling and demand some explanations from those entities. Mm-hmm. Um, it just seems that you get more out of that than like squeezing these African countries whose destinies were not in their own hands either. Yeah, that's true. And they were being played that's, like that pawns as well, right? Like, that is true. You set up a system where, and I'm gonna again, I'm, I'm drawing parallels. I think you know, there's a lot of things in any situation, in a lot of other countries where colonialism happened, that's what happened. They went in and 
pit one side against the other. That's why you have Rwanda, you have, you know, a particular tribe that's favored. And then what happens? The impact on that after those people leave is that we have a genocide and people are looking like, how did this happen? It happened because, right? So like, yeah. even with, you know, with something like Rwanda, I think it is important. Of course, that's more modern day and that's more mm, tangible, yeah, right? Like yeah. you do need to apologize. Like at least they have that reconciliation. They went and they apologized. Did Belgium mm. ever say anything? But it was important for their reconciliation. It was important for their reconciliation because they're still the, the people who suffered, the people who killed. You don't are think still that, looking at the people that they didn't <laughs> finish killing. But don't kill. You don't think, think so, you don't think it would it would be beneficial. I don't like if Sierra Leone like government came and apologized for what Sierra Leone was established by like random British people to but dump not, slaves I mean, that they didn't like finish. I mean, not necessarily that they Sierra Leone, but. I mean, Benin. Certainly, all these countries, what I'm saying, all these countries are, are made with arbitrary borders. Yes, but at least the chiefs and the kingdoms should. To get a whole, you know how many African chiefs are in one country? I just think that, like, how practical But I mean, it it's possible <laughs> for folks to come together and do this. Um, it certainly is. I mean, it's possible. If they want to do it, then they can do it. But, like, I just, I, I don't know how useful it is. And I don't know how much it's hard when we're trying to put blame and maybe i do feel this way because i'm african right like my family's from sierra leone and and that's why i was and, like it, it, it may be and they probably be did sell somebody <laughs> like I'm, I'm i'm there's you know we don't know i, yeah. I don't i i can't I, I, they probably did yeah um but i still go mm, am i going to blame the person who did this took this action or am i going to blame the other person who was the puppeteer behind the master puppeteer behind it all pushing these different people to take these yeah. different actions. Because if you're if you're pitting tribes against each other and there's war, well, I do need to get muskets yeah. and I do need to get... I mean, and this is something that they did not just on the African continent. They did, they did it that's in what I was, That's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. So, like, at yeah. the same time, like, do I... It's not the same thing, but I think about Haiti and how after... I remember finding this out and being really, really pissed off. Mm. How Haitians... The Haitian government was paying reparations to France mm. up until oh, 1948. And I just go, well, and then we all look at Haiti and go, well, why isn't Haiti doing well? Well, maybe it's because they've been paying, they had to pay you reparations for their own freedom as human beings. When in France, we're talking about liberty, equality, fraternity. It just doesn't make sense. Like, I don't, I'm not going to blame the Haitians for the bloodshed of the Haitian Revolution. I'm going to blame France for having slavery in the first place. Um... (laughs) So I, I I think we've we agree on the fact that it should there should be some sort of acknowledgement, but whether or not there should be a, I, an apology is necessary. I think that an apology from Europe, and I think different European entities have done it in over the in years. It, yeah, um, I feel like there was even an apology from the U.S. government at one point for slavery. I want to say Bill Clinton did it. Wasn't there, or was there a call for it? Maybe I'm misremembering things, but I want <laughs> we should probably look up our facts before we say stuff. <laughs> How about I just look up just just apology let's find out for slavery US. Let's see. Five times the United States officially apologized mm-hmm. for slavery and Jim Crow in the US. So they have. They've done it a bunch of different times. Um so it's happened and like it just hasn't really helped with anything. So again, I think Africans should both acknowledge and in, in, in a way in, in an effort to reconcile. 
um, for reconciliation purposes. I think they should do it with with pure intentions, and not so people can come and like throw but, their but tourist course, dollars. Onto of their course, own what people care castles. about what people care about is their day to day. A Ghanaian is not walking around in a crowd, Cape Coast, thinking, "Oh, they should apologize." I mean, they 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 care about their day to day. So if that's how the government needs to frame it, well, then what's <laughs> to the get use, it done, then what's the use of the apology? Again, it's about the but dollar, yeah, dollar the bills. The apology is not coming from the, the money city, city, city bills. <laughs> About. I think really it's about the, int the intent behind the apology from the chiefs to the African American people. I think this is this may be a question we can we can pose to our, our listeners. Yeah. yeah, what do you think? Should you know, <laughs> do Africans bear some responsibility here, and do they need to like publicly apologize? Yeah. Do they? I mean, if you, we want to go down there, like, should there? I mean, I don't know. If we talk about reparations, I think that that's. A, I mean, write to us. <laughs> let's hear. Yeah. Let, let's hear about it. <laughs> African dot American at gmail dot com. And the dot is spelled out. Everything's spelled out. So it is pretty long, but it's pretty straightforward. African dot American at gmail dot com. Yeah, let's hear from you. All right. So now we're going to the final segment of the show that we're calling Spotlight. It's where we bring on an African.American to talk about another new topic. Today we'll be talking to our guests about the sociopolitics of language. So welcome. Uh, first things first, what's your name and where did you grow up? So my English name is Rebecca Amla. My Ghanaian name is Anama. I grew up in New Jersey. Um, but as a child, I was in Ghana for one year. Oh, cool. I love how you go from your American name to your Ghanaian name. Eh? And they put your name. That's true. We can analyze that. <laughs> I think we actually have an episode where we talk about names. So yeah. <laughs> I was named after my grandmother, though. Uh, who the Ghanaian name. Uh, the English name. The English oh. name. Yeah. So is your Ghanaian name your middle name or no? They're just like, you just use them in two very different contexts. My Ghanaian name does not even exist on any legal document. Got you. Uh, but it's what your family knows you as. Yeah. Got you. Makes sense. There are a lot of families that have that. Um, so obviously your parents are from Ghana, as you said. How do you identify ethnically or racially since, you know, they're from Ghana, you grew up in the States, spent the year in Ghana, but like have grown up in America? So I think about this a lot, being here, looking black, and then also being raised by parents who were, you know, Ghanaian and having a very sheltered upbringing, I think it's very complicated. So basically, when I grew up here, everything that I've known, really, I've been like just in this little bubble of Ghanaian culture in New Jersey with my siblings, right? And so I'm used to, I grew up eating like Ghanaian food and going to like Ghanaian outdoor eggs and funerals and like wearing cloth and going to Ghanaian churches. And like, so if, if when I would then go to school, because I obviously grew up here, when people would mention like different pop culture references, I didn't always get them. Mm -hmm. And even still to this day, that's like a struggle. And then when I talk to other people who are African American or Black, um, but not like first gen, it's really, there's like sometimes a disconnect. Like I went out to eat with my friend, she's born and raised in Baltimore. And she asked me, we were at this restaurant. She was like, oh, do you know how the wings are? 
And I don't, it's like, I don't, mm-hmm. I yeah. wouldn't know because it's like my reference point is not that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could tell her maybe like how the goat is or like the plantains, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, like, Which are also important things to know. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all are like, this girl's crazy. No, I totally get it. I mean, I mean, what did you say to her? Did you tell her that? Because I totally would. I'd be like, no. Like, oh, um, and she was like, wait, never mind. Oh, and I was like, uh, well, I actually have never tried them for one thing because it's my first time here. <laughs> but mm. I would have to do it anyway. Yeah, so it's complicated. I don't really feel like I fit in either world. And when I go back to Ghana, when I first get there, people are always speaking to me in English. And then by the time oh. I leave, they switch over to Chi. So it's, it's weird. So it's like you stand out for the first like forty eight hours, and then like people, yeah, somebody able to like mimic know. or what have you. No, it's yeah. always so interesting about to think about like how like people always not always think, but a lot of times you feel like you should be able to just go and melt in and like yeah be one with everyone, but they can tell. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's I think so something. Sad. I was recently there, and it's. People just assume default, oh, the, this person is African-American. So they just start speaking English with you. And you're, I, I'm just like, I can speak Cree. Like, I grew up here. Well, That's you should, but like, once you do it, right, then they're like, oh, okay. But it's like, even, even with family, friends who you grew up with, it's like, the, they, they go to default English. And I'm like, I'm the same person. I haven't changed. Well, uh, well, I mean, in their defense, though, you know, a lot of times when people go to other countries, they do... You know, they, they, they lose that other muscle and they tend to use English or French or whatever it is, but the language like, of their... Even with, no, because some people will, you'll speak Chi to them and they will respond in English. Well, they they might also, but I've had That's that even, yeah. I've had that even in spaces, right, that like, like studying Arabic and going to places and being like, I'm here, to, I'm like in your country because I want to practice Arabic, mm-hmm. but they want to practice their English. So that's also a piece of it, right? Like they may not yeah. always have the opportunity to speak English with a native English or near native English speaker. But they are native so English speakers in Ghana. Yeah, but not like American. That's different. Come on now. Speaking yeah, English I mean, when I was last in Ghana, I was there for a month and my little nieces and nephews were so excited to practice English Aww. that they would not switch over to just speaking like they usually do with me. And it was so frustrating because I didn't want to speak any English. So there's that like weird um, caught in between feeling. Yeah, it's kind of, I think it's kind of, well, what you've just said kind of relates to the, um, the next question, which is like, what language was spoken at home growing up? It sounds like it was, Nana, help me out. Tree, tree. I, I have. You're I have trouble else. pronouncing it. I'm still trying to perfect my Let's pronunciation. Let's see if Rebecca can see it. Tree. Tree. Oh, look at Rebecca. <laughs> Was that good? Was that good? Your standards? You think <laughs> down, okay? <laughs> if I had been speaking tree when I was in Ghana for four weeks, I would have been coming out speaking. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to try I'm going to try again when I go back. Anyway, when I grew up, in New Jersey, 
I was basically in this little Kumasi bubble. Oh, good Lord. Um, like, we didn't speak any English. My parents never spoke to me in English until I started going to school and a teacher there. I went to kindergarten and I didn't speak English also. I was probably like four or five. Wow. Maybe it was pre-K. And and I was speaking with my Ghanaian friend and we were just like joking around, you know, but we weren't speaking English. I didn't even realize. And then the teacher talked to my parents and said, you know what? Your daughter's a little behind. She doesn't speak English. Mm-mm. You have to yeah. stop and speak only English to her. And I always like really like kind of resent that because it's like they don't say that to other cultures. Like the Korean children still speak Korean if their parents speak it to them. No one's like, oh, stop speaking Korean to your child because your child is behind. Like, the, I just feel like that approach is very, um, I'm not quite sure what the word I'm looking for is, but. Racist? <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Yeah. I mean, if it, that's if the word that comes to English, mind. They will tell you that it, the English is not good enough because you have yeah. a slight accent. That certainly well, happened to me when we came I to wonder me. how much of it is generational as well, because I've worked um, at a bilingual preschool in D.C., and some of the children had that same issue when we when they tried to move into, like, regular public schools. Mm-hmm. Um, they grow up, I mean, they were in this environment where they were, you know, speaking Spanish. The school's aim was to help them with Spanish, I mean, help them mm-hmm. transition into English, but, like, they were already coming in with English, you know, they weren't fluent in English by the mm-hmm. time they got there. Right. And there would be the pressure on the parents to like speak English only. Um, yeah. So it's it's a weird thing. But then you hear about like pockets of places where people are taking different approaches to like yeah. foreign language education um, and doing like yeah. ESL versus uh, whatever it was called before, where they just like put you in English all the time and you're just. I think the, the the approach in like using your native language to help you also right. learn English versus being like forget about all that other stuff. English is the future. Um, right. It's such a shame because being bilingual as a child, I think, it helps with brain development. Well, I don't know yeah. if we knew that back then, right? It so, still happens now. Well, I don't know. If, I don't know if all these communities know that now. That's yeah. that's 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 the issue, that is right? True. That's true. It's, yeah, it's just uh, so now I speak English. <laughs> and a little bit of tree. Do you speak tree or do you just understand tree? Oh, I can translate it down to very, very nuanced things. Mm-hmm. I remember though, like there are like a few words here and there I don't know. Like I recently learned butterfly, but like I'm pretty good. And it surprises people when they come over and I'm with my family that I'm like laughing at the jokes they're laughing at. <laughs> So, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, like, that's a good skill. Like, you know, don't don't say. let on that you know and see what it is that they say. <laughs> yeah, like um, I'm the oldest of my well, the second set of my siblings, and uh, I think I understand the most, and I can also read it, which is oh, interesting. that's pretty awesome. Yeah, are there like novels written in tree? The only thing I have is the Bible. But, um, still pretty cool. But I'm yeah. sure there, are, there have been t- some sort of translation. Sure. I haven't looked into it. I should try that. Yeah, I mean, 
know, language, language is like a muscle. So the more you use it, the more you develop it. So like the more things that you can find, it probably be super helpful. How do you, I think you've talked about it a little bit, but like, how do you feel about your, your command or lack thereof of tree? And, you know, how has this, has your relationship with your understanding of the, with the level of, of tree understanding that you have affected how you view the African community or the Ghanaian community that you're a part of? Do you feel like you missed out on anything? Um, That's a good question. So I think because of how I look, I appear pretty American and then I, I speak English, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> I feel a little bit removed in in some ways because I don't have like the mother tongue. And like when I was in Ghana in Kumasi, like people were always be like, "Stop speaking English. Speak your country's language. Speak your home language. Like have pride in it." And it's tonal, so it's really hard to hit the tones right. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I would try and like no one could understand what I was saying because <laughs> my palms no, no, were just like stop out of tune. No, that's, that's not, I'm no, so sorry. I respect all of our guests. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> not that I go way back also. So there's like this banter. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just imagining this. No, she has the same. Yeah, yeah. But but she is like that. You, you can say one thing, and you, you, you're hearing one thing, but the person is hearing something completely different. So it's, it's especially difficult. Like, so kudos to you for knowing how much the amount that you do know, because tonal languages, I can't. I know I personally find them specific, difficult for that reason. It's very hard to hear the nuances in the tones as well and to be able to take them in. Sometimes it's like if you don't get it, well, you got it when you were younger, but then you were forced to forget it. Um, I mean, I can hear them now, but after a couple of weeks, I was like getting back into it. And then, you know, the, there's the, the aspect of like confidence too. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's interesting. Like my grandmother, I would try to speak to her in Chi and then she would speak back to me in English. And then sometimes when my tonation, intonation was good, she would be so proud. But she Yay! would say it in English. Oh. But she would still say it in English. <laughs> because she knows you're struggling. <laughs> well, no. I think I, I wonder if it's, she just wants to make sure that you... Well, I know you she knows that you understand. So that's a, a thing. Maybe Grandma it, was trying right? to practice her English, too. I yeah. mean, like... Uh, or sometimes people... My first generation uh, nieces, they they can understand, but they can't speak it. And I think it's precisely because of what you just said. It's so tonal. So sometimes when you're saying, you just start laughing. Yeah. (laughs) You know, as someone who's like, speaks languages, none of which are her native one, it is very difficult to learn a language. And it would be really nice if people could just encourage people because it is difficult whether it's a tonal one or it's not, there's a lot of time and effort and energy that has to go into being able to acquire it. And so like the effort that you're making, even if your grammar is not great, even if your pronunciation, even if you have an accent, it's all right. And I think you need to remember, and this is my charge to you, people like you, Nana, that, you know, when you come to America and people can't understand you and you complain about people, like, complain no, about how you speak no. English, it's, we, we should think about one that. Laughs because, no, I mean, one laughs I, because it's cute. It's funny. I think it was, 
It's funny. My cousin, who also, when I spoke English to her, because she can't quite understand English, like we couldn't always communicate. She mm-hmm. couldn't understand my my version of English either. But um, she was like, okay, you're getting better, but you sound like a toddler who's like maybe two trying to get yeah. the sounds. And like, I can hear the sounds. I used to study music. So I can hear what I want to achieve, but I just like can't quite get there. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. I wonder if it's like, if you had someone to explain how to make the sound, that would be helpful. Because I know like... With Arabic, there are a few sounds that don't exist in English, and they are very hard. Like, um, there's a letter, like, a lot of people can't pronounce that. And there's also two H's, which is, like, it took me 10 years to to understand. And it wasn't until I had an Arabic partner who was like, girl, what are you saying? I don't understand you. You sound a hot mess. Let's do this. And I was like, okay, (laughs) I'm ready. And she explained it. She's like, look, the one is, the one H is like, I was like, okay. And then she's the other one's like, oh. And I was like, it, it just took someone taking 30 minutes to 10 years to find someone willing to do it. Everybody else was just kind of yeah. like, I'm like, do it. they were just kind of like, yeah, girl, when you speak, I don't really understand, but I get it from the con. <laughs> right. Piece it together. I think with um, she, the best way to learn it, though, is to be around people who are speaking it. I don't know how. Because of the way, and and it, it's tonal, but there are also different variations of it. I mean, I think Fanti is a variation of of tree, a little bit. And so Fanti, the Fanti yes. language and yeah. tree are they're very similar, but they're different. Yeah, totally. you have to immerse yourself into it. I think you have to immerse yourself, but you also like it is also helpful to have someone to help guide you through some of those sounds if you're an adult. I think children pick yeah, it up and can mimic yeah, in a way that's true. easy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and their yeah, mouths form differently. Yeah, they just they which they're acquiring. Yeah, it's kind of like an instinctual thing with them. But when you're an adult, I mean, again, like this this language partner of mine was in Morocco, and this is after me being in Arab countries. You know my history, Nana, like off and on all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so being immersed did not help me. <laughs> it wasn't. Uh, I, I I could. I still had trouble hearing and noting the difference, and then being able to like pronounce that because it's a language that I picked up as an adult Mm. so maybe it's I wonder do you know if there are any opportunities to learn your language in a formal setting or have you had any so Princeton um has tree classes um, and also shout out to Princeton um and I used to work there with a formal organization over the summer so I thought about doing that and then there's also um, the software Pimsleur, and they're supposed to be really good, and they have a they have tree, tree language guide. Oh, so I thought about that, um, and I might, I don't know, I might just go back after graduation and, like, stay there for a couple months. You mean uh, in Ghana? Yeah. I mean, it's probably more fun than reading a Pimsleur book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Nana, maybe Pimsleur will help me, so you'll stop making fun of me. I'll get like some formal description of how to pronounce the word. I won't hold my breath. <laughs> but for you, Rebecca, how has your relationship with Tree affected, like how you, your perception of your level of acceptance within the Ghanaian community? I guess something we didn't ask is like, do you? No. You're going to Ghanaian churches. Are you speaking in Tree with these people, or trying to, or? Well, I'm just someone who's never really felt felt like I fit in. 
maybe only at Wellesley because mm -hmm. it's such an open place, but I'm kind of a nonconformist mm -hmm. and an independent thinker. And I just felt like the overwhelming culture at the churches that I would go to with my parents and my grandmother just didn't really, wasn't really something I was super interested in. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't necessarily like interested in fitting in, in that context. Got you. But then when, you know, we'd have like community gatherings or big family gatherings, like I felt myself like wanting to feel like more connected and not being able to speak to you is like very um just like what's the word not isolating but like irritating because I I when I was little I remember dreaming not in English but in like I remember that and mm -hmm. so it's like silly and then when I think about like if I have kids, like I want them to be able to speak Cree. My aunt actually was showing me, there's this um, video of this Italian man uh, speaking Cree and his accent is so good. I think his name is like the Brony who speaks Cree. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and like, I really want to have like my, if I have kids, like I want them to be able to do that. Is there such thing as a like Saturday school? I know some community, you know, like Chinese, a lot of Chinese communities have yeah. that. Um, so people yeah. grow up going at least like every weekend, Hebrew school, Arabic school. I don't know. Those are the ones I can think of. You may be um, able to find yeah, a family member for you. You may be able to find a family member to do that for you. Kind of teach your kids. Yeah. Or like bring your mom or a grandmother who like speaks to the child pretty exclusively in tree. Yeah, I think we're going to need that because <laughs> I, I want them to have the language. It's so no, important. It is important, especially if they're going to be third. No. How many generations is that? How do we count She's that? First generation. She's the second generation. Third? Second? No. First, isn't that the parents' generation? No? No, the first generation would be Rebecca, right? Yeah, so she's Oh, I thought you were second generation. Wait, mm -hmm. really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, my brain just needs to take a little while to take that in. Okay, so especially if they're second generation um, kids who are a little even more removed from Ghana, uh, language would help. Um, I don't know. I... Um, I've actually found that th those who are, there have been a, 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 some first generation folks I know whose parents have, you know, taken them back to Ghana, either for high school or middle school or, you know, through elementary school, who speak the language because they were able to, I mean, for, for, for a few years, they were living in the country. Yeah. So when yeah. you have friends who are speaking in... Oh, yeah, boarding school or something like that. School, yeah. Would would help give them that. Well, we'll speak one of the languages because she isn't the only Ghanaian language. Let's just say that before you know, people get offended. <laughs> what about... I, you know what? As a child, I used to, I used to understand Ga also. Oh. Never was able to speak it. But... You all is it because like they're related enough or is it just because you have people who spoke Ga in your community? My uncles speak it, and other family members also speak it. So I was around it, but I can't understand it now. Yeah, God is all. not related to tree. I don't. Well, I can't speak it. What about other languages in Africa? Um, I guess wondering as a 
Losing thought. You definitely want your kids to grow up speaking tree. Um, but what if by some happenstance they didn't, but for some reason they were like really connected to a Senegalese community and spoke Wolof like water or Yoruba or Igbo or, you know, we can just go on, the, the list goes on, Swahili. Um, how do you think, I mean, I, I'm sure you'd be, okay, I don't want to like give you the answer, right? Like I'm saying, how would you feel about that? Like, I don't know. Having, I, I don't know that I would be super proud, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> just because I grew up knowing like I come from the Ashanti clan and in Ghana we have our own Ashanti region which means we're like elitist right we're proud and we're also I mean, like I'm hearing I'm hearing this yeah <laughs> I'm picking up those elitist vibes for sure but we're mm -hmm. also a lot of people don't know this like the Ashanti were involved in like um Kind of standing up against the British and then also most unfortunately like in the transatlantic slave trade of course so, like, they're like the fighting kingdom like men and women went to battle like there's statue of Nanaya Santewa like mm -hmm. with her gun and she was like so skilled that she was exiled to Greece okay so like I want my kids to know that and mm -hmm. I think for that reason I'd be like I don't know. I'm not like that narrow-minded now that I'm single. <laughs> it's not narrow-mindedness. It's yeah. pride. It's okay. just I have a lot of pride for the Ashanti-style yes. tree, yeah. and I want them to, like, have that. But if they, if they fall in love with any other language, I think that will be great because I think, you know, around the world, other people – grow up speaking more than one language yeah. and it's not unusual so mm -hmm. it'd be great so i think what you're saying is like other languages in addition to tree great in you know in instead of tree not as much well yeah? i just want if i have kids i want them to know that like what their heritage means and like the complications that come with that Do you um, think that they could get that from like consuming like your culture in other ways and all the other ways besides language. So like the food, the music, you know, all of that, but just not speaking tree, maybe not even understanding it. Or is it, would it be too much of a, a piece missing on in, in your, like the way that you see things? It's impossible to know, but mm -hmm. I would say that if they kind of knew about the culture and like, you know, ate the food and appreciated that, I think that'd be pretty good. <laughs> I don't know if it's necessary to yeah, like, I mean, speak the language should be so connected, but it's interesting you ask that because I have this cousin who his father is from Ghana, his mother is from the US and he's gone back to Ghana once and he did not enjoy his time there, like, at all. Really? Um, he and... should have gone on the Boris Cujo trip. They look like they had a lot of fun. They had a lot of fun. I was about to say something, but I'll, I'll keep my mouth shut. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know what? I think I applied to go to Ghana in winter session. And I don't think it was admitted. Anyway, really? um, saw your Ghanaian name and they were like, what is she trying to do? Please cut that. I'm keeping that in. Why am I cutting that? 
Mm-hmm. Looking at you, Passington Obang. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I think it's interesting because he doesn't have that connection to the culture. So I don't think like knowing the language is necessary. But um, he like he just doesn't even want to have that connection. So I really hope that if I have kids, don't they like, want to? Feel. Yeah. And also, I want them to be able to feel like they can navigate American culture, too, because that was such a struggle and still continues to be one. Yeah, touche. But that's, you know, we, 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 we grow and we learn and hopefully we are able to impart, like, our experiences and our wisdom to future generations so they don't go through the same, like, stuck between two worlds thing that we've had. I want to thank you very much, Rebecca, for taking the time out to speak with us and for sharing your experiences. It's been really interesting speaking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. That's all we have for you today. Join us on our next episode.